Green Dreamer is supported by our listener patrons. And to be honest, I really do need your help to be able to keep this show going. To support the podcast's eight monthly episodes starting at just $2 per month, you can head to greendreamer.com support. If you're already a patron, I see you and I thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I think that's what is very important to understand that we are part of nature and we're not separated from it and that we are not at the top of the pyramid. There's an interdependency between all species. And I think it would start with respect for life, for everything that is alive. We are part of a global system. That was Nazia Mestawi, an ecological artist and architect whose unique approach merges space, imagery, and technological innovations to create innovative, immersive, and sensory experiences. Her work has really touched me personally, and I strongly recommend you head to the show notes at greendreamer.com afterwards so you can see and experience some of the immersive art that she's created. But for now, stay tuned as we're about to explore what quantum physics has to do with the Amazon rainforest's indigenous peoples that Nazia has gotten to know and collaborate with, what the Hunikuin tribe wants the world to know about who they are through the ecological art that they co-created with our guest Nazia and more. Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast exploring our paths to ecological balance, intersectional sustainability, and true abundance and wellness for all. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. If I go back to my childhood, uh, I have to say that I was raised in a family living in a city in Brussels. But my, my parents always loved nature. And for example, at home, we always rescued all animals, all types of animals. So we always had like many birds or, or squirrels or many types of animals that were sick or fell out of the nest. And we took care of them and people brought them to us as well. So sometimes we had up to 30 different animals at home. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it was the same with plants. So as soon as a plant was abandoned outdoor, we would have to take it and take care of it. So there were many plants and many animals in, in our places. I did not actually totally integrate that uh, in my work, but it really happened in a very obvious way after my first travel to the Amazon. And actually what is really funny is that my first travel to the Amazon was not so much about nature. It was more about reality, the way we perceive our reality. And since I'm 14 years old, I always had a passion for quantum physics because deeply questions are the way we perceive our reality and our materialistic relationship with reality. And I was integrating that into my, my artistic work, really always trying to, to open possibilities, actually, to, to help people understand that reality is not only material, that there are many other layers of reality uh, that we can't touch, but they still interfere with our perception, with our, with the way we, we live, actually. And then at some point, I felt that the scientific inspiration for that work was too limited, too dry and too cerebral. So I was looking for a more experiential way to share that other relationship to reality. And as I was having some different readings and books 
and inspiration. I actually found a book where the connection was made between quantum physics and the Akashic field, which is a, a Hinduist concept, very old, like about 5,000 years old, that describes the void, the emptiness, as a library where all information is stored beyond time and space. And actually, quantum physics describes void kind of a very similar way. So in, in that connection, I actually started to realize that the most ancestral societies on Earth lived in a reality that was probably more compatible with the description that is made of reality by quantum physics. And that's what brought me to the Amazon. Wow, this is so deep. <laughs> so, I mean, what can you describe, I guess, this sense of reality more that relates to quantum physics? Like, how does that tie together? Actually, for example, we have a very linear relationship to time and space. But in quantum physics, past, present, and future coexist. So there's no linearity in, in time, or at least not the way we live it. And for example, in the tribes, they are totally aware that there are other realities that they can live in, where time, I mean, their relationship to time is totally different. And actually, it's a very easy experience that each one of us already know. For example, dream. When we dream, we can kind of travel in the past, in the present, in the future. Our relationship to time and space is very different. So it's already an experience that we know somehow. But in, in our society, we, we never really speak about dreams. They are not considered as being really relevant in our experience. Mm. Where in those societies, there are very important elements of, of their daily life. In the morning, you would wake up, and if you had a very important dream, or if you had yeah, something that would be meaningful, where you feel there's an information, you have to share it with the whole community, and it can impact important decisions. So how do you think their perception of all of these different layers of reality, how does that impact the way that they live compared to ways that most of us live if we perceive reality as being more linear? Actually, there are so many different things that would be almost impossible to describe. And most of them, actually, I did not discover them because I come from my reality and I enter into theirs, but I can only discover their reality once I start to understand it from their point of view, which takes a lot of time. One of the most interesting things I, I understood when I was there the first time, for example, is their relationship to other living beings. So they see themselves as being part of nature, being part of a whole, so they don't think they are at the top of a pyramid. They're really part of a network. And they have a lot of respect for every animal, every plant. And they believe that every plant, for example, is linked to a spirit. So they're able to communicate with plants. And they very often refer to the spirit of some species. And it's the same for animals. So there are different layers of reality. The physical layers where you can see actually the animals. The layers of the spirits of the animals where you can communicate with their spirits. So that's also the work of the shaman, but not only. And those different layers of reality are part of the experience. 
In collaboration with the Hunikuin tribe in the Amazon, which is Brazil's part of the rainforest, I believe, you yes. developed your art installation project called Sounds of Light. I was watching a video of this project and was so deeply moved and mesmerized. It is absolutely beautiful and so touching. And I'll have this linked in the show notes so our listener can visualize this as well. But I'm curious, what did your collaboration process look like? And what do you think has been most important for the people to showcase to the world through this piece? Yes, actually, it's an amazing adventure. So as I said, the first time I was going to the Amazon was because of my passion for quantum physics. The concept of sounds of light directly comes from that connection between science and the most ancestral societies and cultures. And it's really this bridge between our scientific and rational world and those societies that have, in my opinion, invisible technologies but very powerful and very precise. But of course, you, you don't have any access to those technologies because they are in other layers of reality. So you, you can't experience them except in certain contexts. My idea was really to, to work with uh, sacred songs, which are actually songs that are used to communicate with the spirits. So it's really already a way to create a bridge between one reality to another one. And the idea is actually to use scientific tools to give the possibility to see the invisible, to see the invisible layers that compose our reality. So I use those songs, and those songs are made to cure us. And as we are made out of at least 70% of water, I use water in the piece so that actually the water uh, vibrates with the sound of the song. And that sound generates ripples, waves at the surface of the water. So it's called cymatic. The cymatic is the science that studies the shapes generated by sound in matter. And so actually you can see the energy coming out of the song. Mm. And as you see it in water, it's a reflection of what is happening inside our own body when we listen to those same songs. So it's already a way to amplify the connection we have to do those sounds. And then I use a brain interface on the head of the shaman when he's singing, and I analyze his brain activity. So you can see his emotions when he's singing. So the idea is really to, to change the color that is reflecting at the surface of water so that you can see the energy coming from the song and at the same time, the emotions coming from the shaman. And those elements are trusting us whether we want it or not even if it's invisible, the sound of a song is already an energy that is crossing our body. And the emotion coming out of the shaman is something that interferes with, with our physical body, again, whether we want it or not. So it's also very interesting to, to give the possibility to see that, to make it very tangible, because it, it exists. It interferes with us. But as long as we can't see it, for us, it doesn't really exist. So that, that was my part of the work. And then actually very often the work is exhibited together with a work that is made inside the tribe by several members of the tribe. And they started to paint the, the same sacred songs. And painting them is also actually a way to make the invisible visible. Mm. Because they give to see all the imaginary and the visions that they have linked to those songs. So, for example, when, when you listen to those songs, they would have 
there are some songs that refer to some mythologies. So there are some characters, there are some stories that are inside those songs. But at the same time, they also generate some visions. So they, they will draw a mix between the different characters and the different stories and the vision that they have when they hear those songs. And those paintings are very interesting and very deep because it helps really to understand an important part of their culture. Right. So they knew going into this that this would be a collaborative project that's going to be showcased to the world. I'm wondering what what did they feel were most important for them to tell the world about who they are? I think what they are interested in is really to share their vision of the world. The fact that they actually have a culture, that Actually, their culture is very deep and interesting and rich and old also because that knowledge refers to to their cultures for thousands of years. What is interesting is that very often in Brazil, for example, the only time where you would see someone from a tribe on television would be because, because of fires, because they had issues with a dam or because they're facing major issues. But you will never see them on TV, for example, sharing their culture and being seen as contemporary. Mm. And to to me, and in the discussion with them, what was very interesting was this idea of having the possibility to be presented like contemporary artists. And that's what they are. They are contemporaries. They are not part of the of the past. They are living today, they have a different culture from our, ours, but still, it is totally contemporary. It's another, it's an alternative way of being a human, but it's not something that belongs to the past. And to me, that's very important. And to them, I think it is as well. And actually, we started the work eight years ago, and today it has a huge impact in the whole community. I can tell that the young generation feels much more proud of who they are, most of them now, they know all the sacred songs. Many of the young members of the tribe started to draw as well. So they, there's kind of a pride of being Huni Queen. And it was not totally the case before, because very often in those communities, when they start to, to go to school and learn to read and write in Portuguese, actually what they're being taught at the same time is that their culture is something that belongs to the past, that their parents or grandparents, that who couldn't write and read are, let's say, not totally civilized. And they kind of feel ashamed of who they are, of their culture, and they want to become Brazilians. Mm-hmm. And with that work, it's also a way for them to understand that their culture belongs to our contemporary time and that it has a lot of value and that they should not forget it. So, <laughs> Yeah. You were just back there in the Amazon this past August when the wildfires gained a lot of publicity and we had this moment of global awakening to the ongoing deforestation and land seizures that the Amazon's indigenous peoples have been struggling to fight against. With the tribes that you've personally come into contact with and gotten to know, what have you learned in terms of what challenges they're facing to safeguard their indigenous rights? They have many issues especially in that zone because they are the border with Peru so there's many lodgers crossing the borders getting trees getting into their territories 
hunting the beast and they're trying to have a better way to deal with nature. For example, in the communities where I go, they live in a very remote area. There's no road it's, uh, 400 kilometers around and they have some rules. For example, some animals are not being hunted during many periods of the year. They try to kind of regulate the impact they have uh, on, on the environment. And when, for example, too many animals are being hunted, they will change the location to make sure that nature can come back. But when there are lodgers and, and intrusions by people who, who are not aware of that, of course, it totally destroys what they're trying to save. So they're struggling all the time with that. Also with pollution, for example, uh, people who, who exploit gold, they totally poison the rivers. So once the river is poisoned, it means that the fish is not good for health anymore. It means that their drinking water is not good for health anymore and because they're drinking the water coming directly from the river. So there's, they're kind of struggling with all those issues all the time. And it's getting more and more complicated because a good thing is that their population is increasing. But as their population is increasing, all those little issues, like, for example, the soap they are using and they, they use it inside the river, then it starts to pollute the river so they can't really drink the water from the river anymore. So all those little things generate some issues. Mm. I feel like the news throughout August really made outsiders really want to help. So I'm wondering if you've gotten to know know their culture and know the people there. What do you think are some of the best ways that people from the outside can support them with their struggles to preserve their culture and preserve their indigenous rights? One thing that I didn't really tell is that the work we started eight years ago, since almost the beginning, we linked it to the fact of buying land, additional land, to create a, a kind of a protection belt around their territory. Mm. So the first time we exhibited together their painting in big, it was in 2014, so three years after the first collaboration. And we were in Sao Paulo during the Biennale. And actually, that was the first time I brought them with me. So for some of them, it was the very first time they came out of the forest. It was the first plane and the first wow. the first elevator. It was amazing to live. All those discoveries for them and to see how they reacted. And before actually bringing them with me, I had no idea what they would paint. But I was kind of anxious of uh, bringing a lot of money to the community and interfering with the way they live because they don't really use money over there. I kind of searched the best way to use potential money that we could have, even if we did not have anything at that moment. And I asked the women, I asked the men, I asked the shaman, what, what we would do if there would be a large amount of money. And in the end, we came to the idea of buying land because it's something that's very collective. So it be belongs to everyone. It's a very strong message for the entire community. And it's also a protection belt that helps really creating a separation between the land, the separated lands, and the different farms that are all around. And also in Brazil, for example, the land belongs to the tribes, but they are under the rule of some public institutions. So it's a way for them to be totally independent from everyone. Mm. So, so uh, when they painted the first big painting, it was really amazing. So I invited the collectioner to see it. 
And when he asked me how much it was, I could already answer, telling it would be that land. It was 25 hectares, and we already knew what land and how much it costed. So with that first sale, the Honey Queens got some additional lands, the 25 hectares. And now we're trying to buy some more hectares. And what we're doing is actually we're buying land where there used to be some grazing for, for cows, and we turned that back into a forest. So they wow. plant a 400 different species of plants over there. And the idea is also to restore the ecosystems and and to protect the whole areas. So that's what we're doing. And I think for me, actually planting trees is really good as long as it is made with local communities and as long as we plant only native species and not for production. Because once we plant, for example, eucalyptus or pine wood or anything that is made just for production, coffee or cacao, then it's not reforestation anymore. There's production. (laughs) So to me, we should put the right name under the right projects. The most important thing is to protect what is existing because even if we plant for 400 different species, nothing is as rich as an existing old forest. So I think the most important thing is to protect existing forests. And one way to do it, which is actually quite simple, but just demands some major change in our daily life is, for example, to avoid eating meats, especially beef, because the beef industry is, in Brazil, for example, is responsible for almost 90% of all the destruction because of, you know, soya crops to feed all beef all over the world and because, of course, of grazing, because when they deforest, it is to put some cows. And what do you think most of us can learn from the Huni Queen tribe and their native wisdom of what it means to live sustainably and with respect to the environment? Oh, it's huge. Actually, first of all, already recognizing that all living organism has an intelligence, it changes everything. When you have respect for every plant, every animal, then of course, you can't excuse any destruction just for your your comfort. You know, actually, that you're hurting something that is alive and that is conscious. Like, for example, eating animals. And, of course, they are, they are eating animals. They're hunting. Of course, they're not eating as many animals as we do. The, the most important thing is they don't do it the same way as we do. They have a lot of respect for the animals they kill. And they would always make a prayer for them. And it's, they always refer to the spirit of all those animals that they, they are connected with. So it's like as if the species was making a donation to humans when they are hunting an animal. So there's always, they relate actually to all those animals as if they are members of their families. Mm. And I think that's what is very important to understand that we are part of nature and we're not separated from it and that we are not at the top of the pyramid. There's an interdependency between all species. And I think it would start with respect for life, for everything that is alive. We are part of a global system that goes way beyond consumption. One of the things that really moved me about your work is your ability to turn your art into real-life positive impact. I'm curious, what are you most proud of in terms of the the real impacts that your art has created over the years? And what do you think has been key to you being able to translate art into activism? 
when I was doing uh, my, my pieces of art, I felt that using technologies and being in virtual world was very interesting. But at the same time, I was missing the very real and concrete impact. And at some point, when I was in, in the Amazon, I had this idea of connecting art with a real reforestation program. So that's how One Heart, One Tree started. And it's a project that I did at many different scales. But in 2015, it was on the Eiffel Tower for the opening of COP21. So I was projecting my piece of art over there. It was connected to an application and people from all over the world could plant a virtual tree. So it was growing in sync with their heartbeat and they could put a message. Then they would sit on the Eiffel Tower, growing in sync with their heartbeat. And for every virtual tree that was growing on the Eiffel Tower, a real tree has been planted. And since the beginning of that project, now more than 135,000 trees have been planted. Mm. And I can say that I'm very, very proud of that. I'm very happy to have involved so many people in the project and so many trees planted. And of course, as I said, when I plant trees, it's always with local people and native species and not for production. So I've been working a lot with tribes in Africa, in Brazil, in Peru, in many different places to plant those trees. So it's a very beautiful story and it's not ending, it's still going on. So now I have a new program in, in Colombia because the, that project is being presented right now until February in Bogota. And it is linked to a very beautiful reforestation program in Colombia. Mm. This is so beautiful. And I'm so inspired listening to you talk about this. And it definitely gives us a great sense of hope in the midst of all the destruction and all the doom and gloom going on. So I just wanted to thank you so much for this incredible work you're doing. To dream up our possibilities going forward, I think being able to imagine what could be can help us to know what direction we need to go towards. So as the artist that you are, can you paint a picture for us of a vision where our future human civilization is living in perfect harmony with nature? Yeah, I think we could get more inspiration from nature directly. And for example, some animals that we don't have a lot of passion for, let's say, for example, ants, it's very interesting because in mass, in weight, they represent once to twice the weight of humanity. Ants invented breeding. They also plant, a lot of plants. So they are very well organized as a community. And still, they don't really have a negative impact on their environment. Mm. So I think we could find an inspiration in the way they relate to their environment and the intelligence they have to work as a community. And I think that's actually what we've been missing in our societies because the more our relationship to material grows and our materialism and capitalism grows, the more we become an individual societies. And individual societies are actually very destructive. We need to find a way to, to go back to a more collective way of dealing with our our reality, with land, with nature, with territory. And that's what the tribes have. They live in a very, very strong community. Almost all members of the tribe are part of the same family. And they consider all animals and all plants are being the, as being the extended family. So they're really working as a community. And I think mm -hmm. that's one, one thing we need to, to, to go back to. 
Before we go into our final five, to give you a quick update since people have been asking, I wanted to let you know that our 2020 Green Dreamer planners are in the press. Yay! You probably already know that they're currently being printed locally to me in Southern California. They're going to be made with 100% recycled paper, and they'll also include inspirational quotes from Green Dreamer's past guests uh, sprinkled throughout the weekly pages, as well as weekly and daily gratitude and reflection guides to support you to thrive. One detail I haven't mentioned yet is that there will actually be 24 monthly spreads from 2020 January to 2021 December, including features of our major environmental awareness dates and also 52 undated weeks. This means that if you or your loved ones go by the academic calendar, you can save it to use for the entire duration of the school year. It means that if you go on break for a few weeks, you can save some pages there. And it also means that you can start using it anytime throughout the year of 2020 or gift it anytime throughout the year of 2020. And it will still be valid. It can be used in its entirety. If you want more real-time updates, you can come follow me on Instagram at Kamea Shane, where I'm sharing some behind the scenes of the process. And you can also also sign up to Green Dreamer's Weekly Digest, which is where I'll be announcing first when they go live. For now, onwards to our final five. Let's power through. What's an uplifting social media account or publication you follow or a book that's been really profound for you? The one book I was referring to that drove me to the Amazon is called Science and the Akashic Field. And it really makes that connection between or most rational vision of reality and almost spirituality, which mm. is very interesting because it's also a, a topic we totally forgot in our society. What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? The most important thing is to try to be the best version of who we're supposed to be. So you can only be positive because we should not try to become heroes or examples or anything like that. Just trying to be the best version of who we're supposed to be. So being pessimistic doesn't bring anything. It doesn't really help finding any solution or, or anything like that. I think what we need is to be realistic. I don't like all those communications that get people totally scared about their future, about nature. I think what we need today is to feel responsible for the future we're heading to. So we need to take back our, our capacity of acting, of making choices and feeling free to make those choices. And that to me, it's, a, it's not easy, I think, to do that because it's also about freeing ourselves from many of the beliefs we had since we were kids. So it, we need to question so many things, so many choices, so many models we are confronted to. But I think that's, that's the job we need to do, really invent another potential future. And it can be very positive. And one other thing is that actually very often we speak about saving nature or the fact that we are destroying nature. Actually, we need to understand that we're not able, we don't have the power to destroy nature or to save nature because we are part of it. So what we are trying to save is our place within that nature because what earth needs is just time if we destroy everything we know maybe in one million years from now nature will be amazing probably without us yeah <laughs> so the, the challenge today is to save all place on earth is not to save earth 
And right. I, I need to, I think we need to make sure that we really understand that the major issue is our relationship with nature. It's not nature itself, or we, we're not heroes and we're not saving anything. We're just trying to balance things and to find the best place today or all place on that earth. And it needs to be questioned because the way we're doing it today, uh, we know it's absolutely not sustainable. So we're facing a massive destruction of all species, including ourselves. Mm. And we're not going to go to Mars or anything like that. I mean, I don't really believe in those crazy scenarios about terraforming Mars within, I don't know how many generations. (laughs) And to me, it's really a way to say, don't worry, you can keep on doing what you've been doing. Don't think about distracting everything. We are heroes and we are going to find with our incredible technologies the solution to save you. I mean, that's really a storytelling. What's one thing you're working on right now for your health? There's one thing I do every year, and to me it's totally connected with health. It's a kind of a fast and silent retreat. So during about 10 days, I don't speak, I don't eat, I actually don't do anything. And one very interesting thing, of course, I'm in in the middle of nature. And one very interesting thing is the first time I did that, I discovered that that was one of the first time I had the opportunity to be and instead of of doing something, just being. Mm -hmm. Because we, we always do something. We work or watch TV or we're on our phone or, I mean, we always find an excuse not to be with ourselves. Right. And there, when I do it during 10 days in a row, I can't do anything else but just be with myself. And it's very instructive. You have a lot of dreams, a lot of comprehensions, a lot of reflections about your life, about who you are, where you go, why you do things and how, etc., etc. And it's very interesting. I think it's something we, we miss in our societies, the, the fact of reconnecting with ourselves. Mm. And there's many ways to do that. I do it a very <laughs> intense way, but it's, to me it's, it also brings a balance. It's the one time of the year when I stop, I pose, and I just stay with myself, meditate, and and without doing anything else but just being with myself what are you working on right now to elevate your positive impact for our planet and for ourselves really (laughs) i'm doing many projects so uh, the one you you were talking about one tree one planet actually it's directly connected to an application that each one of you can download and in that app you're invited to take personal challenges. So I worked on all those challenges and there's, for example, one challenge to eat less meat, one challenge to avoid unsustainable palm oil, one challenge to avoid wasting energy, etc. It's also really about understanding where we can have an impact in our everyday life. One challenge, for example, is very positive. It's about connecting with nature, taking the time to do it. So I think... Yes, there's so many things we can do in our daily life. I try to do it via art to to inspire people, give them some information, share somehow some of the experiences I had through my my artwork to question the way we live and to to kind of help finding some answers. And those are propositions because art is 
it's not a propaganda, it's not selling anything, but just the idea of inviting people to ask themselves some questions. So it's only just a proposition. And finally, what makes you most hopeful for our planet at the moment? I can see that people are being more and more aware of the issues we are facing and the need to change. And I think it's very positive. Mm-hmm. I hope we are more and more every day. And at some point, 100% of uh, inhabitants of Earth don't need to, to have that knowledge and that consciousness but I think that once we're going to be enough people to really want to change the way we live and our references then everything will be possible so I'm I'm, I'm still hopeful (laughs) no really because anyway the very important thing is that whatever happens we're all going to die it's part of the program (laughs) so (laughs) The challenge is what do we do of the time we have here and how, again, how can we be the best version of who we're supposed to be? And it's all about just trying to do our best, but no one is going to save Earth or no one is going to save nature. It's not about that. Well, Green Dreamer, to learn more and stay updated on Nazia's work, you can head to www.naziahamestaoui.com. And you can also follow her on Twitter and Instagram as well at her full name, N-A-Z-I-H-A-M-E-S-T-A-O-U-I. I'll have this linked in the show notes as well that you can find at greendreamer.com. Nazia, thank you so much for joining us today. If our listeners want to get involved in the work that you're doing or help to support the projects that you're working on, what calls to action do you have for us besides downloading the app and checking that out? There's one link on One Heart, One Tree Project to plant some trees. So you can go there and plant some trees. There's many other projects coming, but uh, I don't have the final agenda yet, so I can't announce them now. But as soon as I have it, I will share it with you. (laughs) Beautiful. We're looking forward to it. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as Green Dreamers? I think we have to inspire our future. The reason why I say that is that very often when you speak about technologies, all the vision, the storytelling that is made of our future is about AI, robotics, all those subjects that we all know. And that's really not a future I want to live in. (laughs) That's not what I've chosen. So let's take it and let's make other propositions because we are all part of, we all have the possibility to inspire that future. So let's do it. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. To support the show, access extended content, and join our Green Dreamer network, you can head to greendreamer.com support for more information. To receive weekly solutions-driven news around ecological regeneration and intersectional sustainability, you can sign up to our free Green Dreamer Weekly Digest at greendreamer.com. And if you'd like to come say hey to let me know that you're tuning in, you can find me on Instagram at greendreamerpodcast and at Shane. Finally, as we're wrapping up here, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.